title of the message this morning, obviously, Fate or Chance, Part 6. You're probably wondering why I'm calling this series Fate and Chance when I haven't talked about Fate and Chance yet. I will, before it's over. Trust me. It is my hope that you are beginning to see a theme um, about right now in Romans chapters 9 through 11. We already went through Romans 9 last week. Uh, I'm sorry, and last week we just got through the first uh, four verses in Romans 10. But nonetheless, you should still see a theme. Thus far, the Apostle Paul has dealt mainly with Israel and their failure to find righteousness before God. And this is the theme. Israel has trusted in her works for righteousness instead of trusting in Christ the Messiah. That's the theme of these three chapters that we're taking one chunk at a time. Now, remember Romans chapter 9, verse 32. They, Israel, pursued a righteousness that was by works instead of by faith. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, Paul said, in Romans 9, verses 32 and 33. Who was the stumbling stone? That would be Jesus, of course. And remember, last week we looked at Romans 10, 3 and 4, where Paul says this, Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, and instead seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And remember verse 4, Christ is God's righteousness, for he is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And, of course, we know from Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, that all who rely on observing the law, like the Israelites did, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And then, of course, conversely, our Lord's brother James says in James chapter 2, verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, he is guilty of breaking all of it. Are you with me so far? But Israel doesn't just stumble at one point in the law. They actually stumble over the cornerstone. They stumble over the stone in which all other stones are laid in reference to. That's why it's called the foundation stone. It's the stone that determines the position of the entire structure. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, Paul refers to Christ as that chief cornerstone of the church he is the head of the corner paul says the head of the corner and it's in christ this chief cornerstone in which we are all built together that we are built into a dwelling place a con 
construction for God by the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Why does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, he says, I'm, I'm sorry, what does Paul say? I should have said. He says, for the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A what? Stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, elected, predestined, dragged to Jesus. Those who are called, both Jews and Greeks. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Oh yes, and the psalmist says, let's not forget about this. He is the stone that the builders rejected. He is the corner stone. Psalm 118, verse 22. The same Lord who is the confidence of believers is the obstacle that destroys unbelievers. The same Lord who is the confidence of believers is the obstacle or the same obstacle that destroys unbelievers. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The Jewish religious leaders, they were indeed offended by him. Israel was offended by him. They did not believe him. And Jesus quoted Psalm 118 that I just partially read to you a moment ago. He quoted it to the chief priests and elders of Israel fittingly right after he told them the parable of the tenants where they murdered the master's son. Remember that in the vineyard? Jesus said to them, in Matthew 21, beginning in verse 42, you have never read. Have you never read? I can't, I can't function this morning, man. Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in your eyes. He, there's a question mark at the end of that. He said it sarcastically. Jesus continues in verse 43, Therefore I tell you, speaking to the Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, and elders, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. I'll bet that went over real well with them. And the one who falls on this stone, Jesus said, will be broken to pieces and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests, this is verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, <laughs> rocket scientist, they perceived that he was speaking about them, you think? And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. That's Matthew 21, 42 through 46. Okay, now let's move on 
that's verses um, 1 through 4. Let's just move on to 5 of chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. Now, please follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says... Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul is obviously shifting gears here in our text. In verse 5, he quotes Leviticus 18, verse 5. And in so doing, he lays, listen carefully, he lays the responsibility for righteousness by the law on humanity's shoulders. In other words, if you're going to rely on the commandments or the law for your salvation, then you are going to have to face the consequences, namely failure. That's what he's saying. Why? Because none of us can keep the entire law without failing, and so no one can obtain salvation that way. And that's basically what he was telling the Romans. But verse 6, the very next verse in Romans 10, Paul says, but the righteousness based on faith, he's contrasting righteousness based on the law that you can't keep with righteousness based upon faith. He says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. I'm rereading this because it's a difficult passage. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Then verse 7 says, or who will descend into the abyss. Some of your translations might say the sea. That's bringing Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Paul says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. Now, what in the world does he mean by this? I confess to you, I spent an entire day just studying verses 7 and 8. There are so many different opinions as to what this means from so many gargantuan theologians that it just blew my mind. Now, Paul here is quoting, let's walk through this. Paul's quoting the Old Testament again, just like he did in the previous verse. Now, instead of quoting Leviticus, which he did in the previous verse, he's quoting now Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. 
the context in that passage in Deuteronomy is that Israel was about to take the promised land. And Moses is reminding them that the choice between obedience and disobedience would be a choice between prosperity and adversity and ultimately between life and death. Pastor Steve mentioned this this past Wednesday night in our study in Deuteronomy. This is basically Deuteronomy. It's you do this, you live, you do this, you don't, you die. And these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 30 that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, they are extremely important for our context here in Romans. Why? Well, because Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, folks, these verses are a foreshadowing of the gospel. The Apostle Paul is referring to this foreshadowing from Deuteronomy in Romans 10, and in so doing, he is saying that what is impossible by human standards, it was impossible because Israel failed miserably at their attempt to keep all those ordinances and decrees that Paul just alluded to when he quoted Leviticus 18 one verse ago. Paul is saying what you fail to do in your fallen humanity, Israel, God had his son do. He had his son Jesus keep all of the commandments flawlessly and without sin. And with that said, Romans 10, 5 through 8, there's no need to ascend into heaven to bring Christ to earth, for God has already sent him into the world, manifested in human flesh, to do that which you couldn't do in order to save you. Nor should anyone think that they must bring Christ up from the realm of the dead or the abyss, for God already raised Christ from the dead in his resurrection. God knew that despite his mercies, Israel would rebel against him and suffer the curses of the law. If you read Moses at the end of Deuteronomy, and he's saying farewell to the Israelites, and he definitely wasn't a positive thinker because he told them, you're going to screw up. Give you all this stuff and you're going to screw it up. However, God had planned, He had already planned long beforehand that He would restore His exiled people. He planned to restore them to repentance by what? The inward work of His grace. God sovereignly planned all of this from before the world began for his glory. So continuing on, Paul is saying in our text that God does not require extraordinary works to be saved, but simply faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul has well presented in this epistle thus far. Paul is saying, look, that which is impossible by human standards, i.e. 
ascending to heaven or descending into the abyss is and was freely granted in Christ Jesus. Everybody with me on that? So now, picking up in verse 8 of Romans 10, Paul says, The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. It's also a quote from the same passage in Deuteronomy. Um, verse 9 in Romans. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, yeah, I'm reading it again, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile or Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I'd like to work backwards, because I'm weird like that. Work backwards regarding these verses. So let's start with the fact that there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, verse 12 says. Because the Lord bestows his riches upon all, the word all there, and the word all in the book of Romans, just about everywhere it's used, means Jew and Gentile. That's what it means. This should come as no surprise to anyone here. The scriptures foretell of this, and the scriptures give many examples of it. We can go all the way back to Genesis 22, verse 18. We can go back before that, but Genesis 22:18, where God says to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the nations, not just the Jewish nation, all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Again, God's sovereign plan from the very beginning. I want you to see that overarching theme. God's sovereign plan from the beginning. In Psalm 22, verse 27, the psalmist says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and show your self, I'm sorry, Show them your name. I have a typo here. I apologize. I cheated in typing class in 10th grade. I did. There was a girl next to me. She liked me. I had her do all my homework. I'm still paying for it today is my point. I, I kick myself all the time. I really do. I, I say, well, I'm going to go back. I'm going to learn, you know, officially the way you're supposed to learn. I'm still, you know. And then, you know, I like to dictate. I could dictate because, you know, the computer gets pretty good at it. You, you speak in it. But you, when, when you go, when, when your office is in the basement and the washing machine and the dryer are next to you, it doesn't work real well. And the dogs bark. It doesn't work. Okay, anyway. All the nations is the point. And then in Acts 10.45, another example, um, 
Luke says, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. That's Acts 10.45. And how about Acts 28.28? That's an easy one to remember. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen, Paul said. You Jews won't listen. Gentiles will listen. So you see, church, the Apostle Paul's theme in Romans 9 and the first half of Romans chapter 10 is to show that the Jews would initially reject the gospel so that he could show you in the, le- in the latter part of chapter 10, and as we will soon see in chapter 11, that the Gentiles will be grafted in to the vine. They'll be saved. More on that later. I just want you to begin to see that. The, I want you to see the continuity and the beauty in Paul's thought process. His thought process is, well, it's divine because he was being moved by the Holy Spirit when he wrote it. So now that we know that there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, we can better understand that those who are saved from their sins and from the consequences of their sin are saved by faith, not the law. But not just faith, but faith in the Son of God and his finished work. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. Remember, we're working backwards. Romans 10, 11 says that everyone who believes in him, it's not just everybody that believes, it's everybody that believes in Christ will not be put to shame, Paul said. In other words, there's no shame when nothing bad is held against you, is there? What's there to be ashamed of if no sins are charged to your account because Christ took those sins upon himself? Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And it might be worth mentioning here, folks, and it's not the first time I've mentioned this. Some of us have a tendency whether it stems from our, our upbringing, you could tell I was brought up in Pittsburgh, from our upbringing, um, or a previ- maybe a previous church that we may have been influenced by. Some of us have a tendency to think and act at times like we are still under condemnation by God, or like God still wants to punish us for something. And if that's you, if that creeps in every now and then, I have a suggestion. Um, read Luther's, Martin Luther's sermons. He did such a great job communicating and elaborating on the liberty and the freedom that we have in Christ through the forgiveness of our sins. There are no sins. 
charged to our account. There's nothing to be ashamed of. His sermons are a great comfort to me anyway. And then there's Charles Spurgeon's sermons. If you want to read some Spurgeon sermons, that's good, good medicine for the soul too. And, and of course, both their ser sermons are all online for free or you can purchase them pretty inexpensively from a Christian bookstore. Just remember that if you are in Christ, you await on that great day that great white throne judgment, a forgiving father and not a condemning judge. You should meditate on that at times. You await a forgiving father and not a stern, commending, or condemning judge. So how do you end up in, in Christ according to our text thus far? Look at Romans 10, 10. Chapter 10, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We end up in Christ when we believe or have faith in Christ, his finished work, and are justified by that faith. Believe in what? Verse 9. That Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and as such, we're saved. And that belief, that faith, that Jesus is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, that is saving faith, that is justifying faith, something that we gladly confess with our mouth and shout from the housetops, or at least we should with anticipation of being in that kingdom with him. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about the doctrine of justification in order to tidy up verse 10. And then we will pick up in verse 14 and move through the remainder of Romans chapter 10. Let's pray.